You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. This morning, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you want to turn your Bibles on and uh, scroll to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to cover, uh, cover a couple of verses this morning. We're going to be Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to go ahead and, and read that, and then we will, we will dive into the text this morning. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray and then let's dive in. God, we thank you for the ability to come together to open up your word, to read it, and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and mold us more into the image of your Son. I pray that as we read this text, you show us where we need to change, you teach us something this morning, and ultimately that you receive the glory from everything that we do, everything that we say in our life. In your name we pray, amen. All right, if you are a note taker, I have three points. I, I never really put a lot of slides on there, so you guys are just going to have to pay attention and listen, all right? So three points this morning, uh, and that is, one, the mystery is our mission. Secondly, the mystery is revealing and lastly, the mystery is inclusive. So the first point, the mystery is our mission. We see here in the first couple verses of Ephesians chapter 3, um, Paul starts out by explaining his current situation. Um, and then he uses his current situation for the gospel. So to give some history into kind of what's going on here at this time, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, where Paul is at when he's writing this, he's actually in Rome, and he's in prison. Uh, Paul was in prison for roughly around three years, where he writes this book. He writes the book uh, to the church of Colossae, and he also writes the book of Philemon. And so Paul's in prison here, writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, explaining that he is in prison for them. He says, the reason I am where I am right now is for the gospel, and so that you may receive the gospel. I'm here for the mystery of the gospel is what Paul is explaining to these individuals. One commentator explains Paul's situation by saying, Paul goes on to say that he is a prisoner for you Gentiles. There are two types of ways of reading this. Remember, of course, that Paul is a Jew. And remember that as well that one of the reasons that Paul is in prison is in, the, in the first place is because of the Ephesians. So in, in Acts chapter 19, it talks about how a riot started uh, because of Paul's preaching to the Ephesians. Um, and then later on, chapter 21, Paul went to Jerusalem, and he was initially put into prison because the Jewish leaders had thought that he brought Trophimus, uh, the Ephesians, into the temple where only Jewish men were allowed to go. And so the reason why Paul is in prison in the first place is because of the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus. And so Paul is taking what is often viewed as a negative situation, right, the fact that he's in prison, and he flips it for the gospel. So Paul says that he is a prisoner of Christ. He doesn't explain that he's a prisoner of Nero. 
It doesn't explain that he's a prisoner of a certain crime or a certain location, but rather he is a prisoner of the gospel. See, anytime you would hear that somebody has been in prison or they're currently in prison, there's assumptions that your mind will go ahead and start to make, right? You're assuming that the individual that they're talking about has done something bad, right? You start thinking, oh, I know that person. He probably did this crime, right? He probably did this specific thing. And so Paul's aware of the assumptions that come with his, his current situation in life, but Paul does not stray away from using it for a gospel opportunity. And so Paul realizes that he is a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of man. He realizes that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that all of his life circumstances have came about for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is for the glory of God to be shown no matter where he is at in life. You see, it was God's will that Paul be placed in prison at this time of his life. It was God's will so that the gospel can be spread to those around him. Other parts of Scripture talks about how the, uh, the, the, the different people that would be arresting Paul gets to hear of the gospel. As Paul's in prison, he's telling the people that's holding him captive the gospel. And so Paul is under the understanding that God has placed him here specifically for the glory of God. And so we ask ourselves, wherever we are in life, whatever hard times we're facing in life, whether it be we just got out of a hard time or we're getting ready to go into one, how are we using this opportunity? How is God using us in our situation to draw others close to him? Or how is God using a difficult situation to draw ourselves back to him? How is our current situation a gospel opportunity? You see, if we're put in different circumstances in life, and we don't use those circumstances as a gospel opportunity, we're missing the chance to further the gospel throughout all of our life. And we see that this is the reason that Paul is truly in prison, to be a prisoner of Christ. See, Paul is here to spread the gospel to the Gentiles through the writing of not only this letter, but also the letter of Colossians and Philemon. And so, church, the same gospel, the same mission that Paul is on here, the idea that making this mystery known to those who are far off, those who maybe don't deserve it, that's our mission. That's the church's mission today. That is each of our missions individually. We are called to make the gospel known to those who are far off and those who don't belong. Our mission is to take this mystery to those who need it, those who are the worst of sinners, those who are all around us, if you've been a part of our uh, new members class, you may have heard something that one of our core doctrines, if you will, or one of our statements is, and that's new leaders reaching new families in new ways. It's this idea that hopefully New Heights Church never gets comfortable with where we're at, right? The gospel is always needed to go out into the world, in our work, in our home, in our hobbies that we do. And so it is our mission to live a life preaching the gospel, not by our words alone, but by our actions and whatever it is that we do. And so wherever God has you in life right now, are you using your position and situation as an excuse or as an opportunity? Charles Spurgeon has a famous quote. says, everyone here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either spread the mission of God or you don't love God. Scripture tells us, uh, by this they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And so the fact is, if you love God, you will love the mystery. You will love the gospel. And if you love the gospel, you will love to see that gospel spread. 
Matthew clearly lays out our mission. It says to go into all the world preaching and teaching and making disciples. In this text, we see Paul use a specific language to point to his authority. So in these first six verses here, Paul is, is saying different, uh, different words and using different language. Uh, talk, talks about for this cause, for this reason, I'm a prisoner of Christ, not of Rome, not of Nero. He says, the grace that has been given to me and the mission that I am on has been given to me by direct revelation. And so Paul is laying out his arguments in his case as one who has authority so that all of the false teachers that are trying to teach a different gospel, Paul is going ahead and beating them to the punch. He's saying, hey, if you guys hear any other gospel other than what I'm proclaiming, don't listen to it. I have been given direct revelation from God for the gospel and for this mystery. And so Paul laying this out gives us two things to look at. One, his authority and identity is not found in life circumstances, but it's found only in Christ alone. And so church, because, because of the finished work of Christ, because 2,000 years ago we get to look back at this great story of redemption unfold, because we have been declared righteous, we have been given that same authority to declare the gospel to the others. And so Christ has chosen the church as his catalyst for the gospel. Our identity as a church, our identity as individuals is found in the finished work of Christ and our mission is to make his name known. Secondly, we see that we have also been called to be prepared and ready to have a defense for the gospel. And more importantly, we have been called to be prepared and ready to have an offense for the gospel. We've not been called simply to be faithful church members at New Heights and come week in and week out and remain faithful here Rather, we have been called to take what it is that we learn here on Sunday morning and take it out into the world. I love the language that Paul uses in verse 2, where he describes this task that was given to him as a stewardship given to him by God. So we see that a steward is one who maintains and uses something wisely, whatever it is that was given to that individual. And we see that we are also to be a steward of grace, a steward of the gospel. And you guys, I'm sure, have heard the, the different parables uh, in Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about uh, you have three servants and a master gives these servants a couple talents. And the first guy goes and he takes the talents, he invests it, and he doubles it. He brings it back and the master tells him, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the second guy goes and he takes the two talents that was given to him and he doubles it and he brings it back and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then you know the story, the last guy takes his one talent, he goes out and he buries it, whether it be fear of losing it or not wanting to work for the master and he brings it back to the master, just the one, and the master calls him wicked and slothful. In church, we are stewards of many things in our life that God has given us, our homes, our money, our times, the most important being the gospel. God has graciously given us authority and power to steward grace. And we must ask ourselves in our life right now, would our master tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. We see from this text here, a reminder of Paul's situation, the fact that following Christ and living a life that is gospel-centric can very well lead to suffering in hard times. 
Tony Mierda says in his commentary, the most important thing to Paul at this time was not safety, it was not security, it wasn't a retirement plan. Rather, it was the mission of the king. As he was in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, writing this letter, the most important thing to Paul was the glory of the real king. You see, he was in imprisonment under Nero. This guy Nero would, would set Christians on fire to use them as light for his chariot races. So Paul's aware of the situation that he's in, but yet he doesn't let that determine what he's going to do as far as sharing the gospel to all of those around him. And may that be said of us as well. May it be said that our mission, our importance is life in life is none other than Christ and his glory alone. Not new heights to grow, not financial achievements, not an impressive career or impressive social status. Rather, Christ and his glory. Secondly, we see the mystery is revealing. We're going to read verses 3 through 5 again. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul is explaining how this mystery, verse, uh, verse 6 tells us what the mystery is. It is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs in Christ, that there's an engrafting of the Gentiles into the family of God. So Paul is explaining how this mystery is revealed. He's explaining and, and talking about how this was hidden before, maybe not fully understood throughout the Old Testament. See, when the Jews was seeking a Messiah, they were hoping that somebody was going to come down kick out the powerhouse that is Rome and have an earthly kingdom, an earthly reign that the Jews were going to be saved. And it's because that's what they saw time and time and time again in the Old Testament, right? You had, you had the children of Israel would disobey. They would go into captivity. God would draw them out of captivity. And it was this constant cycle. And so the Jews were looking for this earthly kingdom to take place for Rome to be overthrown by the Messiah and the Messiah to set up his earthly reign. But we know that wasn't the plan. And it wasn't the plan from the beginning, it was never the plan of Jesus. And so we see that when Jesus comes on the scene, is crucified, buried, and raised again, this mystery is now being revealed by the apostles and the prophets. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to do as a New Testament saint. That is that we have at our disposal both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so we, we're allowed, we have the ability to take the New Testament to help us explain the Old Testament, to see this this picture of Christ time and time and time again from Adam all the way up to when Jesus comes on scene. All of the Old Testament was foreshadowing Jesus to come. Jesus to unite all nations, all people groups, both Jews and Gentiles. This was always the plan. You see, God didn't change his mind on his plan of redemption when the Jews rejected Jesus and crucified him. It wasn't this time in history where God says, you know what, I'm going to put the Jews on hold for a little bit, and I'm going to deal with Gentiles now. We're going to create the church. That's not what happened. The plan was always the church from the beginning of time. Here at Youth Group, we're going through the story of Abraham. We're going Abraham, hopefully all the way through Joseph before May. Um, and I love getting to see and teach the kids where you can see the picture of Jesus on display time after time after time after time each week. We covered here just two weeks ago, Genesis 14. Genesis 14 is the story where Abram decides to help out with this war because Lot had been captured. Lot is his nephew. 
So Abram helps out. After the war's over, there's an individual named King Melchizedek. Now, if you don't know who King Melchizedek is, that's okay, because not a lot of people do. Uh, King Melchizedek, throughout the history, nobody knows of an actual time in which this individual was died. There is no record of his death. King Melchizedek is also the only person in history to have the office of both king and priest. See, it wasn't allowed for someone to hold the office of king and priest. The only other individual other than King Melchizedek to hold those two offices was Jesus himself. And so King Melchizedek is a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus in the New Testament. So we see after this war is over, King Melchizedek comes to Abram and he thanks him for helping them win the battle. And then he blesses Abram with bread and wine. And so God is showing Abram thousands of years before Jesus comes on the scene what his plan is to do. There's this picture of Jesus who's going to bless the nations with his body and his blood poured out for you. You go forward one more chapter, Genesis 15. God promised Abraham a son. He says, hey, God, I'm going to pull you from Ur. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky, the sands on the beach. And in chapter 15, Abram starts to get worried. He's about 84, 85 years of age. And he goes to God and he says, you're telling me all of these great things that you're going to do, but I don't even have, a, I don't even have an offspring yet. And so God decides to do what's called cutting a covenant. This was a, uh, a, a different procedure that they would do, if you will, in the Old Testament and back in those days, where what they would do is they'd take three animals. They would cut these animals in half and lay it on each side. And two individuals or two parties would come up with an agreement. And then the individuals would walk between these animals that had been split in half, symbolizing, hey, if I break what I promise to you, let what happened to the animals happen to me. So God says, okay, you want me to reassure you that I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to make from your offspring a great nation? Go and get these animals, cut them in half. And as they come up with the terms of the agreement, God puts Abram to sleep and God walks between the animals, saying, Abram, if you break the covenant that we made, let what happened to these animals happen to me, God. And this was a picture of Jesus thousands of years later. You know, we break the commandments of God. And then what's Jesus do? He comes his body is torn and his blood poured out, fulfilling the covenant made with Abram. And all of this is to say that the plan from the beginning was not to have two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. The plan was to have one people group, the church, all in Christ. You see, when God told Abram back in the Old Testament that from your offspring I'm going to create a great nation, he was not talking about Jacob. He wasn't talking about Esau. He wasn't talking about Joseph. He wasn't talking about any of them. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus came from the lineage of Abram to fulfill the law and the covenant. And so this was always the plan. And because of this, we get to celebrate in excitement what God has accomplished. We get to live out this beautiful story of redemption for all to see. It has been revealed to us. We see in verse 3 through 5 how this takes place, the order of, of how things are supposed to be done. And so it talks about you have the apostles and the prophets teaching. That's what Paul's doing. He's writing this letter, teaching the church in Ephesus. Secondly, we see the church understanding. So the, the church in Ephesus will read this letter. They will understand this letter by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting them. And then lastly, after it's taught, after it's understood, we see the church is sent out on mission, taking this mystery to all, revealing the truth of our sin, 
and our standing in revealing the truth of God's grace. In church, the same mission that Paul was on is our mission today. We come to church for the edification of the saints, for the building up of each other, not so we can feel good, not so we can simply get smarter, but so we can go on mission. We come here to be filled up to go out through the week. Don't get me wrong, I love having first-time guests here. I love that you guys invite people to church. But understand, it is not the church's job to save people. It is God's job to save people. It is the church's job to disciple each other and to take the good news out to others, to plant that seed and allow the Holy Spirit to do its job of regenerating hearts. See, oftentimes we get this idea where we share the gospel, they repent, they believe, and then we don't do our job as a church of discipling them. We think it was our job to get them saved, and now they got to read scripture on their own, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. It is our job to disciple each other and to take the news out and be responsible with what God has given us. Let the Holy Spirit convict and change lives. And there's nothing that brings more joy to a pastor than to see their local body faithful to the mission of God in their everyday life, to reveal this mystery to all of those around. The second way we see the gospel is revealing is not only for this idea of salvation, it doesn't only reveal our sin and the need of grace in our life, but the gospel is also there to reveal and, and show our need of sanctification in our life. Gospel, the gospel isn't a one-time occurrence that gets you saved. It's an everyday occurrence that continually refines you more and more and more into the image of Christ. So the fact is, if we live and if we rest in the gospel, it will reveal changes needing to be made in our own life. It will reveal our sin, our failures, each and every day. And this is not as a way to make you feel bad about everything that you've done. Rather, it is a way to draw you back and celebrate a loving Father that when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ imputed on you. See, the beauty of sanctification is the constant death of our sin and the constant celebration of Christ. Verse 4, we see a change in language here. Previously in the first three verses, Paul calls it a mystery. Verse 4, he calls it a mystery of Christ. And I love this realization that salvation is not about us. Salvation is not just this beautiful thing that helps you avoid hell. Salvation is about Christ. It's about what he has done for us. It's about how can we serve him? How can we bring him glory? How can we bring him praise? And so the idea is we are not saved to be comfortable. Rather, we are saved to get uncomfortable and make this mystery known, to reveal this mystery to those around us. As Paul's in prison, I, I mentioned earlier, he writes three books. He writes this book, the book of uh, Colossians, and then the book to Philemon. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 24 through 29, is actually a parallel text to this text here in Ephesians. So I want to read this um, and, and listen along here as we get some more insight into what Paul is really, really telling us. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according, of, uh, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So did you notice the mission that Paul is referring to? The mission is the church. We talked about this mission earlier. It is that he, that that Paul is revealing the gospel and to disciple the church so that the church can understand and go out on mission. See, Paul wants to present those who God has placed in his life mature in Christ. He wants to disciple everyone it is that God has placed in his life. And so church, we ask ourselves two questions. The first, are you maturing in Christ? Are you drawing closer to him each and every day, each and every week? Do you even desire to draw close to your redeemer and creator? Are you okay with not learning more? Are you okay with not learning to love Jesus better? See, if you have no desire to draw close to God, you are not part of his fold. And this mystery of the gospel is begging you to repent of your sin and failures to live up to God's standards and accept the free gift of grace that Jesus gave us. Secondly, the second question we ask ourselves, are you helping anyone around you mature in Christ? See, if you're married, is your relationship with your spouse one that encourages and lifts each other closer to Christ? Is your relationship with your children one that builds your kids closer to Jesus? Is your friendships with those around you friendships that help draw each other closer to the cross? And so just as we are called to be discipled, we're also called to disciple others. You see, the gospel is is the most selfless act of any individual in the history of mankind. The fact that God sends his son to come and live a perfect life and to take on a punishment to pay a debt that he didn't know. The gospel is the most selfless thing that has ever happened. And the fact is you cannot take the most selfless act in history and then become selfish with it. If you have not, if, or if you have been a recipient of God's grace, don't you dare fail to share that news with others and disciple them to become mature in Christ. Our last point is the mystery is inclusive. So we're going to look at verse 6 again. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Or in Colossians, it says, In him, or him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we discussed this idea earlier that the plan of redemption was not simply for the Jews only. The plan since the beginning of time was to draw and unite all people groups to Christ. This is the mystery that has now been revealed. The inclusivity of all nations, of all people groups for Christ and his glory. 
Galatians helps explain this idea that it has always been the plan. Galatians says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And it is that through the offspring of Abram comes a guy named Jesus, and through the offspring of Abraham, through Jesus, all nations have been blessed. See, God is redeeming people from all people groups. We talked about this is not a point in history where God decides through the apostles and the prophets to work with the Gentiles. All of Scripture teaches us that the plan was always the church. And this inclusivity of the gospel teaches us how to be inclusive in our own life. So the question we ask ourselves is, who it is, who is it in our life would we not be willing to share the gospel to? Hopefully that answers nobody. There's a famous magician, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Penn and Teller, uh, but Penn is a, uh, an atheist. And uh, Penn has a famous quote that he talks about, and he says, if you truly believe Christianity's real, if you truly believe that those who don't believe in Jesus die and burn in a place called hell forever, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that? And so in our mind, I feel like we quickly answer this question that, yeah, there's not a single person that I wouldn't share the gospel to. But how does our actions mirror our thoughts? Do we actually live a life that preaches this idea? What amount of legalism in our own ways have we created as a guide needed to be fulfilled before someone become a Christian? That is, what is it do we want to see in somebody else around us change before we feel like they deserve to come to church or before they deserve to hear about grace? You see, so easily we throw this idea of legalism out the window when it comes to our own life and what we want to do. We'll say Scripture has made us free. You can't add to the gospel. You can't tell me I can't do this. You can't tell me I can't wear a T-shirt to church. You can't tell me I can't drink. But how much legalism do we still live by when it comes to our expectation of others, when it comes to their worthiness, if you will, in our eyes of hearing the gospel? Oftentimes, it's those who we have viewed have committed a certain sin that we don't like. Or we view someone who maybe sins too much that we don't like. And in the back of our mind, we think, they can't hear the gospel. Look at, look at their life. They don't, deserve to, they don't deserve to hear grace. And you're right, they don't, but neither did we. And so the fact is, this is exactly what Jesus criticized the Pharisees for. Jesus explains in the Gospels that he has came to heal the sick. It's the ones that are sick that needs healing. And so if we want to live a life that pleases Christ, we must live a life that loves all of those around us enough to share the gospel with them, regardless of whatever social status or whatever past they might have. The same gospel that saved each one of us here with no prerequisites other than grace through faith in Christ alone is the same gospel that we are called to be sharing and be including others in. You see, the inclusivity of the gospel reaches and spreads much farther than simply Jew or Gentile. This gospel tears down all walls, 
doesn't matter what your race is. doesn't matter what your political standing is. doesn't matter what your social status is, what your W-2 says at the end of the year. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter how much sin you've committed before. doesn't matter what version of the Bible you use, what you wear to church. The gospel is not dependent on any of those things because it's dependent solely upon what Christ has done for us. If the gospel was dependent on anything that we can do, be, bring, achieve in life, we are all damned for eternity in hell. The gospel was dependent on Jesus alone, and praise be to him for it. You see, we, we see Paul is convinced by the Holy Spirit that this core idea, the, the gospel, the mystery of the gospel is worth everything. He went to prison for three years under Nero because he realizes that what is most important in life is not him, but Christ and Christ alone. And so what is it that's going to take us, what, it, what will it take for us to jump on board and share the same mission that Paul's talking about? We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.